So today, we're going to continue in our sermon series called The Storyteller. And so we're going to just examine the scope of redemptive history from our story to who God is, to creation, to his return, to our eternal home in heaven. And there's going to be a bunch of stuff in the middle there as far as heaven, hell, what is the church, what does it mean to be the covenant people of God, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to hit it all, and there's much more in there. So our first week we talked about how our story is to tell his story, and it becomes part of the whole story of what God is doing by lifting up the name of Jesus as a supreme king and ruler of all things and restoring all things. Today I want you to meet the author. I want you to meet the director. So if you understand who the author is, who the director of a movie is, you begin to understand the movie better. For example, if you know Quentin Tarantino, right? right? You know this brother is twisted. There's something wrong with him. He needs to take vitamins or something. <laughs> there's something wrong with this dude. You watch his movies, there's blood flying everywhere, there's preferred stuff going on. You say, I understand this movie better because I understand the director of this movie. In the same way, if you know Michael Bay, you understand he's like a 50-something-year-old kid. So every movie he makes is going to be big robots, it's going to come out in the summer, there's going to be big colors, there's going to be cars flying over everything. Because you know Michael Bay and you know that's the kind of movie he makes. As we begin to know that God is Jesus, that God is sovereign, that God is good and that God is eternal, we begin to understand redemptive history better. We begin to understand our story better. Because we understand that God is love. We understand that he's sovereign in control of all things. We understand that he works things out for good for those who love him. And that he's eternal. He's not limited by time like we are. He always has been. He's self-existent. So I want us to focus on these three attributes of God today. The first one being that God is sovereign, and we'll get into that later on in the message, and that God is good, and what that means, and that God is eternal, and that how that helps us to understand God and understand the story, and even cope with life in many ways. When you understand these things about God, even in your own life, you can cope with suffering. You can cope with even joy. You know, some people have problems coping with happy seasons of their life. They don't know what to do. They feel like something's got to go wrong. It's going too good right now. When we understand who God is, when we begin to know Him, we find peace in this life, and we live lives that glorify God. And so I want us to rest in that today and learn from that today. So the first thing that we have to know and decide for ourselves, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is there a God? Seems basic, but that's a question that every human being that's born into this world has to ask themselves. There's many people who don't believe there is a God. We have to ask ourselves, is there a God. So, many people fight ferociously over this. The people who believe glorify God, preach God, the people who oppose it, say people who believe in God are foolish. And then you find this group in the middle who says, I'm just trying to figure out if there is a God. I'm just trying to work through this. I need a drink of water. Forgive me, you guys know I never do this. But, you have this group in the middle that's trying to figure it out. So there's three arguments. 
that persuade me and compel me to believe there is a God. So I want to talk about those three arguments. I want to give you some scripture to back them out. And there's going to be some big words. You guys know I usually don't throw them out. Logical, like teleological, cosmological, all the logical stuff. So the first argument would be the teleological argument. This would be that when we observe creation, or even us as created beings, and we look at ourselves and we see the design and the harmony of creation, and even as us made in the image of God, it's hard to deny that there's an intelligent designer behind it. So when you look at creation, when you look at the sky, when you wake up and you breathe every day, and you look at just even how you function, this argument would say there's no way to logically come to conclusion that there's not an intelligent designer. They would say there has to be an intelligent designer, and that intelligent designer is God. And this argument would, I'd use this kind of example to help you guys understand it. If I'm walking through Braycott, right, and I'm walking through the woods, and I see a Lego home, just a Lego home, I would make two assumptions. I would say, first of all, someone built this Lego home. This didn't just happen. And I would say a kid probably built this Lego home. Or some grown-up dude that just won't stop being a kid. Right? I would make those two assumptions. I would say someone built this Lego home. This didn't just happen. And a kid was the designer of this Lego home. In the same way, if I went into a 50-story building that had heating and solar-powered electrical system, I would say someone had to build this. And it had to be a skilled architect. It had to be. When I look at creation, I make the same assumption. This didn't come from nothing, and there had to be an intelligent designer who was transcendent who brought it into being. And I just want to use these few scriptures because I don't want to just give philosophy, even though when philosophy is backed up by scripture, it's a great thing. I want us to be a thinking people. I want us to think through things and work through things. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Has anyone... Even down at the Wakefield Lake, I remember I, I take Talia down there. And sometimes you know when the sun's setting and it you know, gets that pink tint. I love when that happens, kind of pink and a light purple. And me and Talia will sit down there. And I, I'm just in awe, not only of creation, but God gave me this wonderful daughter I have. And it, I get wrapped up in it all and I say to myself, there has to be a God. And in Psalms, David wrote that and declared that. And he, he sung it. He said, the heavens declare who God is. In Romans 1.20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So it says, when we look at creation, every person, we really have no excuse. There's something sinful and ignorant going on if you look at all this and you say there is no God. Even the design of our bodies, right? I remember when I was younger as a child, and this happens to Talia too because she is my child. She has that bug out moment. I don't know if you guys had that. And we said, I'm in a human body. I'm existing. She says, Dad, I feel weird right now. Right? I'm like, it's okay. I know what you're talking about. She's like, I'm existing. I can see. I can hear what's going on here. I'm just like, it's going to be all right. But I remember those moments too, when I just had those moments say, it's a little bit of a bug out walking around, existing and all that good stuff. The next argument would be the cosmological argument. Kind of like science, it says, every effect 
has a cause. So if there's a material world, there has to be someone or something outside the material world that started the material world. And so a famous astronomer, Fred Hoyle, said, for people to believe that creation, that us came from nothing, is foolish. He said, that's like believing that a hurricane went through a junkyard and made a 747. Right? That's how foolish it is. You're telling me a storm broke through here, broke through a junkyard, and made a perfectly designed 747. That's the cosmological argument. That we are the effect, the created earth, created being, and God is the cause of that effect. And that finds support in Hebrews 11.3. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we look at this and we say, what is visible to us, what we can see, is made out of something that is invisible. That's the cosmological argument, and it's pretty strong, and it's pretty com I mean, it's common sense. You don't have to be a, you know, um, super educated person or anything like that. You look at creation, you look at the effect, you look at who we are, and you say, there's someone who is above us who created this. The third argument will be the axiological argument. I know, I'm doing a lot of logical. Just throwing it on the end of there. This argument would say that there's a common thread of morality that goes through each one of us. In every age, in every generation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every culture. That tells us what's right and what's wrong. Simply put, every person who's ever been born knows that rape and murder are wrong. That's a pretty compelling argument. This means that someone had to design us with a conscience to know what is right and wrong, to feel emotions of happiness and sadness, and to want justice. And we'll get into a few weeks, actually two weeks, what it means to be an image bearer of God and made in the likeness of God and what that looks like. And this argument finds support in Romans 2.15. says they show that the work, of, the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. God has given us a conscience to know what's right and wrong, and that's woven through history. It's a thread of mankind to know what is right and wrong. So if you come to the conclusion that there is a God, and there's other arguments, I find these three the most compelling. There's the ontological argument where there's the highest ideal if we conceive of a perfect being. There has to be a perfect being. There's the argument of time, that there is time, there has to be someone outside of time, but we don't have the time <laughs> to go through that all today. So if you come to a conclusion that there is a God, you have to understand there's a lot of different perspectives about who God is. So it just doesn't you can't know by God by just saying there is a God. So I just want to talk about a few perspectives and beliefs in God. The first one would be, many people call themselves agnostics. Have you guys heard that term? And I would define an agnostic as this. They teach that there might be a God, there might not be a God. But this God cannot be known because we can only see the material world. So if there is a God, he cannot be known.
And this is directly opposed to our belief system because we believe that you can know God by knowing Jesus. And so many people are finding themselves, even people I grew up with, people I'm in church with, they're labeling themselves now as agnostic. They're saying there could be a designer. You know what? I even believe those three arguments. This could be a designer, but there's no way we can know it for sure. And furthermore, there's no way we can know God. Then there's deism. Many people believe there is a God, but they would say that God made the natural world and he left it alone. Kind of like an absentee landlord. That he made the earth and he left it to its natural laws. That he is not intervening in it. They wouldn't believe in the incarnation. What's amazing about this is deists do not believe in miracles, but they believe in the miracle of creation. Which is, seems kind of not to work for me. Right? So Deus would say, there is a God, but he has nothing to do with what's going on here. He's left us to our own accord. He's left us to steward this world. He's not involved. He's not going to come to earth and die for us. He's not going to perform a miracle. He's not going to heal anyone. He's not going to save anyone. There's a God, but he made us and he left us alone. And we don't have time to talk about polytheists. Those are people who believe in many gods. That's usually more Eastern religion. The Hindus and stuff believe in many gods. Or pantheists who believe that everything's divine. This would be more um, what the Indians believed. You know, everything's divine. The trees, and that's why they worship the trees and the water. Or panentheists who believe that the world is actually God. It's infinite. It gave life. It, it is eternal. You know, that would be more Eastern religions like the Buddhists and stuff like that would believe that. But then you have monotheism. So monotheism is something that we're a little more familiar with, right? The Jewish faith would consider themselves monotheists. The same with Muslims. So there was Allah. There was one God. They make that statement. Same with the Jewish faith. And at first glance you say, well, we, we are monotheists, right? In a way we are. In a way we are. But there's something very unique about the Christian faith since the birth of the Christian faith. We are Trinitarianists. Meaning that we believe as God is one, but he exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it's important to know this doctrine and to understand this doctrine. It's been taught through the ages. It's taught through the Bible. You even look at Genesis 1.26. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. <clears throat> so God is triune. And that's so important to understand. And I understand I'm, I'm putting a lot into this message. We could really do just a sermon series on who is God. And we can go through each attribute of him being omnipotent and omniscient. And we could just keep going and, and we could spend a year here. But it's important for us to know, especially with this story, that God is triune. Because the hero of this story is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, who came down to earth. So, God the Father played a key part in creation, creating through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they all have worked in perfect community, but they're distinct persons, yet one God with their own function. So, Jesus came and died for us. He said, another one's coming for you to empower you to be a witness, and the Holy Spirit came. It's important to know these, but I want to focus on the second person of the Trinity, so we asked ourselves, is there a God? We asked, what are the perspectives of God? Then we asked, what is God like? Because many people say, you can't know God. If there is a God, there's something in us that wants to know, what is God like?
And I want to point you to Jesus to know what God is like. Specifically, the cross. When you look at that cross, you see almost every attribute, the very nature of God and who He is. So, of course, you see love. You see grace. But you also see the holiness of God, that He could not look down on sin and allow it to go unpunished but he poured his wrath out on his own son so that we would not have to experience the wrath of God. You see everything. You see that he's forgiven, that he's patient, that he's loving. You see who God is. So I want to focus on these few things and bring them all back to the cross. So the first one would be that God is sovereign. When I say this is one of the most important things you need to know about God, I can't overemphasize this. This means that God is the supreme ruler and king of all things. He's in control of everything. Every bird that falls from the sky, every breath you take, the family you were born in, the town you were born in, everything. God is in control of every aspect of your life. That's why we can look at the cross and realize that God had written a story way before Jesus even got here and say this is part of God's plan. Because I would be alarmed if Jesus came to earth and God had a different plan and we ended up murdering him and throwing him on the cross. Wouldn't you guys be? Say, wow, God is not in control. How can I trust a God who is not in control of every little aspect of eternity, of my life, of my family, of my days, of my circumstances. But God is in control. And he had a sovereign plan before time began to put Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. And we're going to get 16 more door slams during this message. That's the hope. But I still love everyone who slams doors in this place. You keep coming if you slam the door. You have to know that God is sovereign because... At first glance, you would say to yourself, this is horrible, right? You look at a murdered Savior, you look at him pinned to the cross, you look at him whipped, he was unrecognizable, beard whipped out, you couldn't even, people who knew Jesus say, this, I couldn't even recognize him as Jesus. You would say, if you just looked at that day, if you just looked at that time, if you looked at that cross, you would say, something's wrong. But when you know that God is sovereign and control of everything, you know that God has a plan that you can't see, and he's going to work things out for good. Which brings us to the second thing, that God is good. So how do you define what's good? So the simple definition of what is good is that which is worthy of approval. You can say that that is good. Who decides what is worthy of approval? God. So we can define good as that which God deems worthy of approval. Anything. And I could do a whole message on that with culture right now. But we're going to stop there. God saw that it was good for his son to come to earth and to die and to suffer and to rise again, giving salvation to all who would believe in him. The gospel is a good thing. God looked and said, that is a good thing. If you look in Isaiah, it says, it pleased the Lord to crush Jesus. Why did it please him? Because he had an eternal plan in mind. And sometimes we're so short-sighted, right? So if we based our faith 
just on the day Jesus died, I don't think there'd be too many believers, right? Is the fact that he rose again, and the fact that God seated him at the right hand of the Father himself. And that he will be the name that everyone worships for all eternity. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. He not only brought glory to himself, he brought salvation to everyone who believes in him. And I want you to turn to Ephesians 1 real quick. When I read six verses, if you have, don't have your Bible, do not worry. I'm going to read anyways. In Ephesians 1, 3, it says, Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Grace which he has lavished upon us in our wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullest of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. When you look at the cross, you see that it was God's plan, you see that it was a good plan, and you see that it's eternal plan. There's some things in our life, and we'll get to its application purpose, if we don't look at it eternally, we're going to fall apart. We're going to fall apart if we do not see God as sovereign, good, and eternal. So the big question is, is there a God? And if we believe there is a God, how can we know this God? It's very simple, and I need everyone to hear me today. You know God through his son, Jesus. When you see Jesus on the cross, like we said, you see everything God is. He dies for undeserving sinners like us. He doesn't just wipe everyone out. This is amazing showing the nature of God. He throws himself in our place. Please understand how much Jesus suffered for you. And he was God. He was that second person of the Trinity who took on flesh and who died for us. To know God is to see that truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and believe it. We know God through the scriptures. We know God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we stay in relationship with him through faith. To know God is to know Jesus. That's why other people, when they say, oh, I can, I, one, like I was at our mission of deeds yesterday. And the lady said to me something that was very, oh, if you believe in a God, that's okay. According to the scriptures, that's not okay. You have to believe in a God who is Jesus. Because you can't get back to God or in relationship with God without faith in Jesus because Jesus had to bridge that gap that we could not bridge by dying in our place, by living the perfect life so we could be forgiven and holy and righteous in God's sight and in perfect relationship with Him. We could be called the righteousness of God. That's why God is going to be, Jesus is going to be worshipped forever is because we're going to be so blown away by what God has done for us for eternity. It's not going to get old. Right? It is not going to get old, and it should never get old, what Christ has done for us. So I want to speak to our personal stories right here a little bit. Because in the big story, you have to know that God is sovereign, that God is good, and that he's eternal, and that God is Jesus. 
especially when you look at the cross, and even if you go through the whole Old Testament, you realize that a lot of people died for their faith. And the story ended there. That would be a sad story if you didn't realize God was good and he was eternal. But in your own story, you have to know that God is sovereign and in control of your life. I remember when I was younger, there was some craziness going on in my family. And I remember the Holy Spirit, by his grace, he would always minister to me and say, I would just have these thoughts and say, this is happening for a reason. The suffering wasn't fun. It was not good. The pain, the brokenness, believe me, it, it takes many years to heal from these things. But I kept knowing by God's grace, this, even from a young boy, seven, eight, this is happening for a reason. And God is going to work this out for good. And God is eternal. And there's things that I can't see. And God's working them out for God's glory, for his purpose, and for my joy. For those of us who lose children, we need to know that. How can I comfort someone who has lost a child if God is not eternal? How? You cannot comfort them if God is not eternal. Someone who's sick with cancer, how can I comfort them? How can I say your suffering is going to work out for good if God is not eternal and he's not loving and he's not for us? You can't do it. And in all life, you've got to know that when troubles, when trials, when suffering, when death comes, you have to know that God will work all things together for good for those who love him. Please know that. Because when you know God, you begin to have peace in your life. That's why they call it the peace that passes all understanding. That's why when people are suffering, I read an article, uh, and I can't even imagine. I don't know if I can make it through. When that was a shooting at the school in Connecticut, right? The two parents were outside. They had a son and they had a daughter in school. And they were waiting to get the news. And they said to themselves, whatever it is, we're going to approach this with courage, with faith, and with love. Their son lived and their daughter died. Now, if they didn't know that God was sovereign, good, and eternal, they would have fallen apart. But God, that is who God is. And one day they will see their daughter again. One day he will redeem all things. Because this life is just passing away and God has plans we can't even understand to see. That's how good our God is. Amen? I want you guys to know the author of the story, know the director of the story, know he's for you. He's for the glory of his son Jesus. And when those things come together, you'll find joy like you never felt. Amen?